Good morning, church, saints, sons and daughters of the living God. Good morning. How are you feeling this morning? Isn't it amazing to be in the presence of the Lord and to be with one another? Um, the Bible says we live and move in Him, isn't it? He, he is where we find our being. Um, and I have the honor and privilege of sharing with you further in our series on Galatians. Um, as you know, this is um, a very important book because Paul addresses certain things in here that helps keep people on track because as you will discover in Galatians that people tend to really find comfort in the law. They like to be able to know that if I keep these 10 rules, then I'm okay. Or if I show up at church on a Sunday, then I'm going to heaven. And I can tell you now, showing up in church makes you no less godly than parking yourself in a garage makes you a car. Which means that you don't become what God has called you to by just being here. You become what God has called you to by being here and living out what God is teaching you. How many of you know that the Holy Spirit is your teacher? Uh, Everyone has saved this side. So I'm going to start like really doing a gospel message here. <laughs> so the Holy Spirit, He's the one the Bible says that guides us into all truth, right? The Bible says that the kingdom of God is not in food or drink, but in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, which means the kingdom is in the Holy Ghost. Do you understand that? Which means when, when you have the Holy Spirit in you and you are in Him, then you are in the kingdom. And we're going to talk a little bit about that because it's fundamental to this question. And I want you to really think about that. Is there another gospel? Is there another gospel? Just think about that for a minute. Is there another gospel? How many of you have heard different gospels? I've heard several different gospels. I haven't believed them all. For many years, I believed the gospel was just um, the good news that Jesus would keep forgiving my sin. And I'd have to come and repent very quickly before I died, otherwise I'd end up in hell. Because, you know, what if a truck hits me before, before I get to say sorry? Then what happens? Because I'm saved now, and then I make a mistake, and now I'm a sinner, and then I go from being a sinner... And I get hit by a bus and I die a sinner and I'm no longer saved. Does it sound like a gospel? To many people, that's the good news. But it isn't the good news that Paul preached. It's not the good news Jesus preached. And so we're going to get into that because we start our text today. And I'm just going to read the whole text before we get into the breakdown. Is that okay with everybody? All right, so we're going to be reading Galatians 1. Um, you, can, you can go in your Bibles there, because I'm going to be reading out of mine. Um, Paul starts in verse 6, and he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. 
that even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, sorry, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For I now seeking, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man if I'm still trying to please man? I would not be a servant of Christ. So that's the whole text that we're dealing with today. Sorry for the double up there. So is there another gospel? Well, in this first section of Galatians, we need a little bit of background because as you will know later on in the book, Paul says it was before your very eyes that Jesus himself was crucified. So they were the people who knew about the crucifixion of Jesus, and they were the ones who received first-hand testimony of the crucifixion of Jesus. And so they had seen this Jesus, they knew about this Jesus, and Paul himself preached about this Jesus. And so if you go and look at some of Paul's other writings, he even goes as far as to say that Jesus appeared to the apostles, and then after that, he appeared to 500 other people, and those 500 other people were still alive at the writing of his letter, and, it, and that, that particular one was to the, the Corinthians. And so he's trying to state to them that this, this gospel is something that has been verified, but that he himself did not receive this gospel from any of those people but he received it through a revelation that he got on the road of Damascus. If, how many of you know the story of Saul of Tarsus and how he was you know, chucked off his horse and, and then Jesus shows up and says, why are you persecuting me? You guys know the story? And so in, in that, what we have is we see that Paul then goes and he's blinded for three days and the, the Bible says that he was basically seeing the things that he should suffer for the gospel's sake. Now, how many of you would have put up your hands and gave your life to Jesus if I told you what you needed to suffer? You see, Paul came into this thing knowing that he would have to suffer for the sake of the gospel. But we have a church today that most of the time, it's all about what Jesus can give me. It's what I can get out of him. It's not about him having me and doing with me what he wants to do. And so Paul is saying here that he is astonished that, that they are so quickly deserting him who called them into this grace, this grace of Christ. Now what is the grace of Christ? The grace of Christ is... The fact that Jesus came in bodily form and did all the things that he did to demonstrate the love of God towards us in spite of us. We didn't deserve it. We couldn't earn it. But he did it anyway. And God would have been fully justified in allowing the world to continue in its condemnation because he was not the one who condemned it. And you will see as I go through this what I'm talking about. 
God did not have to save you. Are you listening? You're not, you've got to realize that God did this out of love. He didn't do this out of obligation. God did it because it's who He is, not because you deserved it. So there's no one in this room who can say, well, actually, I deserved it. Am I right? Because then it would no longer be grace, then it would be earned. And the problem is that as people, we slip into a false sense of pride very quickly because the minute we start doing things for the Lord, we can begin to assume that we are more qualified because of the things we've done. Forgetting that we were qualified before we started doing anything. And that our qualification came from Him and what He did so that we could do it. Is this making sense to you? All right. So he, Paul is astonished at these people for deserting so quickly. But who are they deserting? And why on earth is he using such a word as deserting? I mean, how many of you would find it um, convenient language if someone said, you deserted me? You deserted me. How would that make you feel if someone said that you had deserted them? You abandoned them. You disappointed them. You went away from them. You basically sabotaged them. And so when Paul is writing this, it's not some flowery language. He's communicating something he's very serious about. And he's trying to be as serious as possible. And he's saying, I'm completely shocked and astounded that you would so quickly desert Jesus. Because who was the one who called us into the grace of Christ? Was it not Jesus who said, follow me? Do you think this would be as important if it was Paul that they were deserting? No. To Paul, this was important that it was Jesus that they were deserting. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Do you know that even today and for centuries, there have been people who are attempting to distort the gospel of Christ? And I'm going to get into that as well. So, Paul warns us all here, what we can learn, is that we do not want to be guilty of deserting Jesus. So how many in the room would agree with that statement? Would you agree? You don't want to be found deserting Jesus, and worst of all, deserting Him out of ignorance. Because when Paul is bringing this letter to the Galatians, he's not bringing it to them as a condemnation. He's bringing it to them as a correction. And you guys understand the difference, right? A correction means you can still fix it. A condemnation means you're done. Does that make sense? So when Paul's writing this to them, he's bringing it to their attention that there is something that they've gotten up to that has literally brought them into a place of actually living lives that run the potential of actually deserting Jesus himself. And so Paul points out that believing a different gospel is equal to deserting Jesus. 
Is that pretty serious? Would you think that's quite important to maybe know what this gospel is? Because when you do a survey and you ask Christians, what is the gospel? How many people can actually tell you? Oh, it's the good news. Well, thanks for giving me a synonym for the same word. Do you know that when your favorite basketball team wins the game in the NBA or your favorite football team wins the game in the, in the, in the National World Soccer Championships um, and you hear the news, it's also good news. But it ain't the kind of good news that can save you. Hello? So, it's, so there's many forms of good news, but good news... The one that Paul's talking about, he qualifies it, and he says, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Paul wasn't preaching a gospel different to Jesus, but it did seem that way to many people. Are you guys okay? All right. Paul reminds the Galatians that there is only one true gospel, and that that gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then Paul warns the people that distorting the gospel of Christ is leading others astray. Think about this. If someone misunderstands the gospel and communicates that gospel in the wrong way, do they still have the gospel that was communicated to them? And how much error in that message is viable error? At what point do we say that, no, that's error and it's wrong? You see, if, I, if, for example, you did what's known as broken telephone, how many of you have played that game before? More this side, obviously. Hey, guys, we love you. So, so clearly, if you hear a message and you pass it on, and we had to do this experiment, and we would pass the message on throughout the whole church, when we got to the end, do you think we'd have the same message? Now, imagine trying to keep the integrity of a message over thousands of years. What do you think might happen? You see, this is the reason why the early apostles chose to write these things down so that the message could be clearly communicated. The problem is, even when people read these things, they don't always understand the full context of everything that's happening, and they can often come to the wrong conclusions. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't read your Bible. All that means is that you should take caution to understand the context of what you're reading. Do you know what happens when you take a text out of its context? Come on now. You get a con. And that's what happens so often is when we take texts out of their context is we end up with a con. We end up with someone giving us their opinion of what that text means out of its context. And if we have faith that they are telling us the truth, we will believe that as if it's true. And then we will hold God's feet to the fire on a text that was misinterpreted by someone else. And this has bred countless amounts of what I would call disappointment in the lives of believers. Because people have chosen to believe the opinion of man often over the written word of God. 
And so I encourage us all to be like the Bereans. Do you all know who the Bereans were? That even when Paul had preached the gospel to them, they said, thank you for telling us. And they went away and they did their own homework. They went and they found out for themselves. Is what Paul is telling us true? Can we find it in Scripture? Is it in Scripture? And when they came back the next day, they said, we've gone through it, we've looked at it, and we agree, you're right, and we're ready to believe. So I encourage you all to be like the Bereans. No matter who's standing up here, make sure that you check in your own Bible that that's what it says. Because otherwise, one day you'll turn around and you'll say, oh, the church, the church, the church, when actually it was your responsibility to learn. It's your responsibility to know the truth. Does it make sense? It's our responsibility to give you the best interpretation of the truth that we can. Because we are not here to glorify anyone else but Jesus. And we want you to have the truth. But unless you do your own work for it, you're not going to actually understand it. And by work, I don't mean earning it. I mean understanding it. The Bible says in all your gaining, gain understanding. Amen or oh me. So you've got to understand something. Do you see this picture here? Do you think that guy looks like a square potato? What, what has happened to this guy? It's what we call distorted. Is it still him? But it's not quite him. Am I right? The image has been distorted. In other words, it no longer looks like him, even though it's him. Guys, that's why it can sound like the gospel. It can even preach like the gospel. But in the background, it might not be the gospel. Isn't that right? So it's important that we know the gospel. Now, how many of you have heard of this, that when they wanted to end money laundering or they wanted to identify the um, falsifications of money, they didn't spend their time trying to find every falsification in order to teach those who would be the ones to police the enforcement of you know, anti-laundry laws. They didn't spend all that time with all the different forgeries. What did they do? They took an original... And they made the person who was going to be doing all this work study the original. Because the best way to pick up any fraud or any copy, copying being done or manipulation being done is to know what the original is like. Does that make sense to you? And when you know what the original is like, then when someone alters something or uses a different version to replace something, you will pick it up a lot quicker than if you were trying to just look for the different types of errors that there are. And so I'm not calling you to try and look for problems. What I'm asking you to do is to grab a hold of entirely the truth of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And to understand that. Okay? Is that good? All right. Isn't it a wonderful day? Hey, it's nice and cool. 
Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So distortion isn't something that is necessarily a perfect lie. It's something that is mostly truth that has a bit of lie in it. And how many of you know that that's just as good as a lie? Because you don't really have to add too much dirt to the batch of brownies for people not to want to eat it. Am I right? So if someone made a batch of brownies and they added just a little bit of dog poo, how many of you would eat some? It might just be in the one. We don't know. It might, it might be in the whole batch. We don't know. Would you have one? No, you wouldn't because you'd know there's a distortion in there. It smells like a brownie. It looks like a brownie. And you might, it might even not be one that's contaminated. But the, the fact that it's there will put you off. And this is why it's important that we identify the truth and that we know what distortions look like. So to Paul, the authenticity of the message and understanding the authentic message helps you to identify the distortion. Okay? For example, if you know what my face looks like right now, if I'm standing behind a piece of glass like that, how many of you think you could tell it was distorted? Hey, this side, guys, are you with me? Right, so, so it's an important thing that we know what the original looks like. So what in Galatian did they do to distort the message? And you know, this is, this is a question because Paul could have used the very same language for other things that people do today. So I don't want you to think that it's purely because of this, but it was something that came in to take people away from the simplicity of the gospel. And it was this idea that, yes, 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 Jesus has saved you, but now you have become part of the larger Jewish community. And so what we do is we circumcise our young. And what we do is we have Sabbath. And what we do is we honor these other days. And, and you're just invited to, to celebrate those days as well, because that's what you need if you claim to be saved. Sound good. Problem is, it's a lie. Problem is, that if you add anything to Jesus, you're living a lie. You see, when Jesus was on the cross, he didn't proclaim the first episode of his miniseries. He didn't say to be continued. He said it was finished. Does it make sense to you? And so when Jesus said it was finished, it meant that whatever needed to be done to secure your eternal salvation has been accomplished. That's what it means. Whatever needed to be done was done. The wrath of God had been satisfied and the sacrifice was still alive. You see, the sacrifice was more than what we needed. Because Jesus was more than enough. And as you study, especially the book of Romans and some of the writings of Paul, you'll realize just how much more Jesus accomplished. That he didn't just restore us, but he restored us and placed us in a better position. That when God said, I will make a new covenant, not like the old one, and in this new covenant I will remember their sins no more, he meant business with this new covenant. This new covenant was actually his idea from the beginning. I will put enmity between you, snake, and the woman. 
and her seed, you will bite his heel, but he will crush your head. From day one, God proclaimed that he would send a Messiah to destroy the works of the enemy. That he would get us out of the hostage situation that we were in because of what the devil had done to Adam and Eve. Does this make sense to you? All right. So what were they doing? They were adding all these religious practices that they had literally been freed from. And people say to me, oh, look, I mean, they were trying to observe the 372 other laws, etc., etc. No, Paul was as, as upset and confused about them trying to live under any law that would work to try and get you right standing with God. Now, now, how many of you know that the speed limit doesn't get you right standing with God? But most of the law, the Ten Commandments, all those things, they were designed so that you could be pleasing to God. But it's funny, in all of the Old Testament, the keeping of the law never provides the promise of eternal life. Because the law could never provide eternal life. How many of you know, no matter how many times you stand on a scale, it doesn't go down unless you do something else? Is it true? So, so the scale doesn't tell you. You don't go stand on the scale and says, okay, you're heavy. Don't worry, we got this. Yeah, who would like a scale like that? It doesn't do that. Am I right? The scale just tells you your problem. You're too skinny or you're too fat. That's all it tells you. It tells you your problem. That is what the law was designed to do. The law was designed to show you that you have a problem and that that problem, the solution to it is Jesus. Does it make sense? If you didn't understand the magnitude of your need, you wouldn't accept the sacrifice in its magnitude. Does that make sense? Right. So what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because wouldn't it be important to kind of know what that is? How many of you would like to know what that is? Yeah, five of you. Six. Anybody else? Okay, we, okay, okay, good, good, right. That's excellent. I'm, I'm happy to see that. So let's look at the, the, how Paul presented the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? And you're going to notice a little bit of a difference here. And I'm going to show you why it's different. But you're going to see that the tenant's still the same, okay? So um, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, it says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. So not only do they receive it, but they live in it. Is it right? So you received it and you're standing in it. And by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. So is there an indication here that if you don't keep believing, then you're not believing? What disqualifies a believer? Not believing. Because by definition, you can't be called a believer if you're not believing. Am I right? Is there such a thing as an unbelieving believer? Yes, so that's an oxymoron. Does it make sense? So you either believe or you don't, and what he's saying here is that 
You're saved by continuing to believe. Isn't that right? So not by continuing to do works, but by continuing to believe. And let me tell you, the devil will throw the kitchen sink, the baby water, the toys, everything at you to try and get you to stop believing. Isn't that right? You know, since how many of you believe sin has been dealt with 100%? Okay, three of you. We've got a lot of work to do in here. Okay, so, so watch this. Sin has been dealt with past, present, and future. Sin is no longer a problem for God. And sin has no longer got power over you. Does it make sense? So sin is no longer an issue. But if the devil can get you to sin, he can train you to believe that the cross had no power. And he messes with your head to get you into unbelief in your heart. Does it make sense? And when you enter into a place where you now believe you've sinned so much that you have literally sinned more than the blood of Jesus can cleanse you. That's when you're in trouble. Don't get there. Amen. That's why you want a good conscience. Amen. Okay, watch this. For I delivered to you at first importance what I also received. This is the gospel that Paul preached. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Caiaphas and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. And he must reign until all has been put sorry, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Alright. So that whole text there, what is Paul talking about? He's saying, look, through Jesus' life, buried life, his death and His resurrection and even His ascension, He has made a way for us to come into the kingdom of God. Do you see that? So Paul had an understanding in the backdrop of his kind of upbringing that there was a kingdom that had come to the earth that Jesus was talking about. And that there was this sacrifice that had been made for us to be able to partake in that kingdom. Does it make sense? You all tracking with me? Okay, I'm trying to keep it very simple. So, so, and, and not simple because just so that it's plain. Does it make sense? Okay. So then watch this. He says, for the kingdom of God in Romans 14, 17. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So you can see that Paul, because he also wrote Romans, is trying to point people back down to this idea that there is something that has brought them into the kingdom through the finished work of the cross. Does that make sense? Okay? In 1 Corinthians 4.20, he says, For the kingdom of God does not consist of talk, but of power. How many of you like that verse? Oh, at least 10 of you. Hallelujah. Right. 
how did Jesus present the gospel? Because we can see that Paul made the gospel pretty much all about how you get in. Am I right? It's all about how you get in and how you stay in. That's why you'll even get in Hebrews about entering the rest and, and not coming out of that rest. Does it make sense? So there's this, there's this whole um, direction that Paul takes about in, inviting people into something. He, they, he says, repent and believe the gospel. Okay? So repent and believe the gospel. The word repent means to turn away from the direction you're currently going and to turn in a different direction because you've changed your mind. Does it make sense? There's a metanoia, which is a mindful change of your direction. You're heading in a different direction. Well, which direction should you go in? Well, the gospel. Well, okay, repent and believe the gospel. Well, then that's the good news. The good news of what? Well, that what you couldn't do in your own strength, God has done for you through Jesus Christ. Okay, so what is that? What is it that he's done for me? Has he just... Has he just put me in the big Omo machine and just washed me clean? What has he done for me? No, he's given you a new life. He's brought you into a new kind of mankind. One where God and man is united as one. Do you understand that? So there's a whole different scope of what Paul was kind of opening up because Jesus was was basically announcing the coming, and then Paul was explaining how you get in. Does it make sense? Okay, watch, you'll see this. How did Jesus preach the gospel? Mark 1.15, Jesus told them to go out, right? And then he says, and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Do you see that? The time is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. Believe that. The kingdom of God is? Do you see that? Well, well, you might say, well, how will this king, how will we know that this kingdom is here? Like the Pharisees asked Jesus in Luke 17, 20. It says, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that you can observe. Nor will they say, look, Here is the kingdom, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now, who was in the midst of them? And who was the king? Hello? Who was the king? So if Jesus was the king, then it's his domain that he is king over in order for it to be a kingdom. So Jesus was the one who brought the kingdom. Isn't that right? Now, let me ask you something. How many countries around the world were occupied by England? How many? Many were colonized by England. Am I correct? And when that happened, did England move its head office to those countries? No. England learned this very nice kind of Um, idea from the Romans. It's called a colony. You know, you, you come to a village with a really big army and you tell them fight or join. Isn't that right? 
Now, I don't know about you guys, but if 100,000 people showed up and said, fight or join, what, what do you think you're going to choose? It's a little bit intimidating, don't you think? And then the, the problem with that was that then they would take people from that village and add them to their army, so now their army was even bigger. And so the next village would be like, oh, there's John, he's joined them. Isn't it? Okay, so there was this idea that they could peacefully take over territory without a fight by showing force. Does it make sense? When Jesus came, according with the kingdom, Jesus came and showed force over our true enemy. Jesus cast out devils, he healed the sick, he raised the dead, he cleansed the lepers, he proclaimed the kingdom of God was there. Does that make sense? So Jesus was like this great ambassador to reintroduce us to God's kingdom. And then he went, and when the Holy Spirit came, the Holy Spirit came as our governor. You've all been colonized by heaven. Amen? Some of you are not so excited about that. Because colony is such a bad word. Come on, man. Get the principle. Amen? Get the principle. The principle is that heaven, the reason you don't see heaven here is not because the kingdom of heaven isn't here. It's because the kingdom of heaven is manifest through those who have submitted to the kingdom of heaven. The problem is that Jesus preaches all the time about the kingdom. How many times does he say the kingdom of God can be compared to this? The kingdom of God can be compared to that? I mean, everything from birds in the trees to fields full of barley. Amen? To finding a treasure in a field and selling everything so that you may own it. Am I right? And Jesus goes on and on and on about the kingdom. Basically, he never had a different message. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. Hello? Not your righteousness. His righteousness. So Jesus in this sentence actually brings together not only what's available, but access to what's available. Is this making sense? So through righteousness, we gain the kingdom. Does it make sense? Okay, so, so, so watch this. In John 3 verse 3, Jesus says to one of the Pharisees who's asking him about how he can enter into the kingdom. Because, you see, Jesus has been preaching about the kingdom so much that they still don't know how to get in. Does that make sense? Okay. Jesus was dangling the carrot. Do you get that? And Paul came and showed us how to eat it. Yo. So Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? And surprisingly enough, I still get this question from eighth graders. And Jesus answered, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So there must be an experience, right? A born again experience. You must be born into the kingdom in order for you to see the kingdom. Well, Hallelujah. So Jesus is talking about the kingdom, talking about the kingdom. And yet, at the end of the day, the kingdom is still 
locked up to them. So here in John 3.16, God gives the intent for why he sent Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. How many of you like that verse? Many of you got saved on that verse. Amen? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Do you see the world is already condemned? God is not trying to condemn the world. The world is already condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And then John 14, 6, Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you see this? Here we know the law was given, and we know that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So that means that Jesus, not only did he provide us with the truth about what was real, what is real, but he also gave us a way to enter into that reality. Does it make sense? And so we see here that I'm trying to help you understand the gospel in a better way so that you can see that, yes, as much as the gospel is about Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection, even his ascension, the, the, the truth about it is that he was all about the kingdom. Does it make sense? So, so, so no one gets into the kingdom by works. No one gets into the kingdom in their own efforts. Everyone must surrender their own efforts to God and receive the free gift of righteousness so that they can be in the kingdom of God. And it was this that was being distorted. It was this that was causing problems in Galatia. Because the minute you begin to think that the kingdom of God is something that you can attain through your own efforts, you are at a disadvantage. Your efforts are done in God because of thankfulness towards God. Not to get something from God. Because God has already given you everything. How much more do you want? He gave you himself. Unless the Holy Spirit isn't God. And we would say that's heresy. Am I correct? The Holy Spirit is God as much as God is God. And so if God lives in me by His Spirit, He gave Himself to me. And if He gave Himself to me, and I gave myself to Him, then this life that I now live is no longer mine, but it's His. You guys doing well out there still? I know I'm running a little bit over time. Are you guys tired? Are you, are you happy? Everyone happy? All right. So how committed was Paul to preaching this true gospel? Because I want you to see that Paul was willing to have like really strong arguments with people in order to make sure that there was truth. This whole idea of just, well, you know, just don't have any kind of backbone to stand up for something is ridiculous. Do you hear me? If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for everything. And what better to stand for than the gospel of Jesus Christ? Amen? I mean, that's a hill we should all be willing to die on. Because he was willing to die on a hill for us. Or have we forgotten 
Hopefully not. Amen? So then he carries on here. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven, I mean, even if an angel comes and tells you, no, 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 you've got to, you don't understand the gospel. You should go, Chandach. Isn't that right? Shoo fly, don't bother me. Am I right? Because he says here, for if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul was serious about this. He even wrote to Timothy and he said, keep close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Notice, he didn't say keep close watch on yourself and how people are feeling. Hello? People who are driven by emotional waves of craziness. When actually we can be rooted and grounded in the truth. Does that make sense? You don't have to be governed by feelings. Feelings are not supposed to be your master. You are supposed to be their author. You're supposed to be the one who chooses how you feel. Because you're in charge, not your feelings. Does it make sense? And I don't know about you, but I choose to feel great. How many, how many is with me who choose to feel great today? Amen. So watch this. Keep a close eye on what you, on watching yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For so, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. I mean, that seems quite hectic. I mean, it's so important that we don't distort the gospel of Jesus Christ that we should, that we should avoid it at all costs because it's a life and death issue. Watch what he says here in 2 Timothy 2. He says, and what, have, um, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Isn't that right? So what he's saying is, don't just give this message to people who are going to be very ample to take an opportunity, to misuse the opportunity, to make it something that it was never intended to be. And by the way, in those days, it was happening, guys. It was happening. It's one of the main reasons why we had the rise of so many cults during those times that had to be dealt with. There were people coming into the churches preaching and teaching things that were not part of the tenets and the core message of the gospel. And so Paul basically then affirms them and says that he's not doing this to gain favor with them. Clearly, it wasn't about gaining favor with them. He says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now listen to me very carefully. Paul had this conviction that he was here to please God. But yet, he served mankind out of obedience to God. Are you listening? Which means that God, what Paul held more paramount than anything else was doing what God wanted him to do, not what man wanted him to do. Are you hearing me? And so he realized that he could not afford to live his life trying to please people. And being a people pleaser will set you up for disaster. Because one day they like you, the next day they hate you. Ask Jesus. Ask Jesus. 
Hosanna, Hosanna. Three days later, bam. That's how fickle the mob is. Don't put your trust in people. Put your trust in God and you'll be free to love people. Amen. And this is what Paul is saying. I'm not trying to earn brownie points with you. I'm about being obedient to God. Our loyalty to God's gospel should be the same as Paul's loyalty to God's gospel. Am I right? Is there another gospel? No. There's only one true gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I hope that after today, you'll realize that mixing anything in with the finished work of the cross is a violation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your time.